0: when does sin become sin on this episode of forge and anvil we will be joined by dr jared moore to discuss his book lust of the flesh and why it is that Christians struggle to answer that very question all this and more so stick around Welcome to Forge and Anvil, where we hammer out uncomfortable conversations about culture, theology, and politics to sharpen ourselves for the race set before us. My name is Connor. I am host of this podcast. I am a husband, a father, and a follower of Christ Jesus, and I am just doing my best to represent him well. I'm joined uh, once again with uh, my co-host, Michael Aper. So, Michael, say hi.
1: Hey, friends. As always, I'm a student of Scripture, and I'd like to see the righteousness of God restored to his people.
0: Great. And as I mentioned in our opening, uh, we are joined by Dr. Jared Moore. So, Jared, go ahead and tell the audience uh, who you are and what you do.
2: Yeah, my name's Jared Moore. I'm married. I've uh, been married for about 19 years. I think it'll be 19 this year. And then I've got four children. I um, was saved when I was 17. It's been, I'm 43 now. So, it's been like 26 years ago, I guess and um been in ministry for about 23 um, but i grew up in church and um, i have a phd from southern baptist theological seminary and i've written a book on the lust of the flesh kind of trying to restore um, the lost understanding of what sin is um, and so that's what i'm here to talk about i appreciate y'all having me on of course
0: Glad to have you. We're excited for this discussion. But before we get started, uh, those of you listening, be sure to check out last week's episode. Uh, We had William Wolfe on the show, along with uh, Will Spencer of Renaissance of Men. They were helping me cover the Iowa caucuses. So we actually were covering that live as they were happening and talking a lot about... uh, um political theory within the church so be sure to check it out go ahead and like and share this video to boost us in the algorithms we are at their mercy so it does help us out follow us on twitter at forge and a for additional content and updates on the show share this video and repost the stream on x we are streaming live there tonight if you want to be a part of the chat uh they do have a chat feature so far it has been working for us um so if you uh are using the chat feel free to jump on over to rumble or youtube i've posted the links on one of my most recent uh, posts so you can go ahead and join us there to be a part of the conversation and due to a popular demand uh, we have created a email for those of you who do not catch the show live Uh, you can go ahead and email us questionforge at proton.me So we really appreciate you guys joining us. And if you happen to be in the Middle Tennessee area on January 27th, that's this Saturday. I am putting on an event called Forging Freedom. And the topic is Christians in the Public Square. And I've got some great speakers coming to talk all about how Christians can be more active in the public arena uh, specifically in the ta- uh, the state of Tennessee. So uh, you can go ahead and follow us uh, at Forge and A on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, and uh, the updates will be there as well. So that's all the laundry list that I have uh, for the day. So uh, thank you for uh, enduring that, gentlemen. Um, but uh, Dr. Jared, um, really, uh, the Internet's been wanting to know, uh, what are your pronouns? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Go kick rocks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> is that the pronoun first pronoun, or is that is it kick? <laughs> <laughs> go kick? Hyphenated. <ahead>, <laughs> yeah. Of it's course, so I'm I'm joking. For those who yeah. don't know, Jared uh, Jared went uh, semi viral, as viral as one can go in in Christian Twitter, at least uh, <laughs> for his response to uh, that that very question in an interview um, that he was on. And and we'll definitely unpack that as the show goes on. But uh, really, that's because uh, you've been making the rounds on many different podcast networks because of your book, Lust of the Flesh, uh, because uh, you are speaking plainly about sexual sin. So um, go ahead and, uh, and, and start by telling us maybe a little bit about your book and why you chose to write it.
2: Yeah, so my book is a, a laity version of my dissertation that I wrote at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary on the doctrine of concupiscence, which concupiscence just is just the lust of the flesh. It's anything in you that's contrary to God or emotion of original sin is how the confessions like the Westminster Standards define it. Um, so anything in you contrary to God is sin, because it doesn't measure up to God's requirement for us. He requires obedience from our hearts with every fiber of our being. And what has happened with particularly the sin of lust, people have adopted the kind of modern Roman Catholic view. Most evangelicals have adopted this view that the first inclination of lust or I say lust, the first inclination of sexual immorality is not sin unless you submit to it, and so, you know that that's been the the argument that it becomes lust at a later point once you are mindfully involved in it, and throughout church history, um, the Roman Catholics and the Protestants actually agreed on this. Um. And so just throughout, ever since the church fathers, um, Christians have argued that any evil inclination is sin. Anything that doesn't love God with all your heart, soul, and mind is sin. And, and so, you know, there's not a point where it becomes lust. It's lust, the beginning of lust, the first evil inclination you have. And so that's what I argue in my book. Um, I unpack it from uh, Genesis chapter 3, Romans 1, um, James 1, and Matthew 5. And then I examine Jesus' temptations, um, His temptation in the wilderness, the Garden of Gethsemane, His cry of dereliction from the cross, and then the Hebrews 4.15 verse, all these verses that people... It's amazing to me that people will try to look at Jesus' temptations so that they can boast in themselves. And the whole point of Jesus enduring temptation is he endured it for us because we have fallen, because we are sinful and he's not. And so to look at his temptations and say, I'm like Jesus, you're missing the entire point of why he was tempted. Um, because, you know, if you believe that evil inclination becomes lust at a later date, You have to go to the mirror every time you have a lustful thought or an evil thought or an evil inclination or desire, and you have to parse out whether, oh, is this chosen or unchosen? So you're constantly running to the mirror to try to self-justify evil in your heart. And what I'm saying is, is run to Christ. You have a Savior. You have no reason to make excuses for the evil that's in you run to Jesus and be cleansed and healed and cultivate walking in the spirit, rejecting the evil desires of the flesh, starving them and walking in the spirit living for the Lord faithfully. And so that's why I try to argue my book. I do want to be encouraging, but also I'm, I feel like I'm blunt. I was born in the wrong time period. (laughs) Discourse has become so feminized where everybody's talking about their feelings and you have to worry about the other person's feelings whenever you're talking. And discourse is so, it's just utterly ridiculous. Like when you look at the Bible, the responsibility is on the hearer to assume the best of the speaker. But today it's flip-flopped, right? Like you, you have to worry about everybody's feelings, just saying things like a man's a man and a woman's a woman. <laughs> You know, I have to tiptoe around that. Are you kidding me? Um, but anyway, so that I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, the church at large needs clarity on these issues. But when you were writing this, I believe, if I remember right, this was uh, this was part of your your dissertation originally. Is that right?
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, this is my dissertation uh, condensed and. Um, all the big words are taken out basically like it's it's uh it's not written at an academic level i mean so we've got you... 320 footnotes in this book but it's not written at an academic level
0: so would you say you wrote this primarily in hopes that it would reach pastors in the pulpit or um, were, are you wanted this to just be very accessible for the average church layperson
2: both both i think there's enough there for both it's it's there for academics as well i mean folks that want to uh, dive into the history and the exegesis and the commentaries and all that's still there and present in the footnotes um but if you're just reading straight through you're you'll be able to understand it if you have a you know a sunday school vernacular you know if you have if you you're in church you'll be able to understand this book excellent yeah
0: i i know you talk a lot about sublimation so that's that's one of the first questions that i had for you after reading uh portions of your book so go for our audience sake what is sublimation and why should we be concerned about it
2: sublimation is a modern roman catholic doctrine where they believe that you can turn uh, things that are contrary to god to holiness so this is something that revoice argues which is side b gay christianity where they reject same-sex marriage, but they embrace same-sex identity. They run around calling themselves gay Christians. They have parsed out same-sex attraction to say that same-sex sexual attraction is wrong, but same-sex attraction, the pursuit of same-sex beauty, the pursuit of same-sex love, the pursuit of, you know, all this baloney. It's just empty rhetoric. But they argue all this, and, um, you know, I, I, I try to encourage folks in my book to reject the notion of sublimation because one it's not repentance right so wesley hill who is kind of the grandfather of the entire movement side B gay christianity um he argues he quotes eve tushnet eve tushnet is a roman catholic she claims to be a lesbian but she doesn't act on it but what she does to sublimate her desires for same-sex intimacy she volunteers at a pregnancy resource center so she can be around other women. And in that way, she is sanctifying her desire for same-sex intimacy. Um, so it's uh, my issue is that it's distinctly gay. Like, it's, it's still homosexual. Like, Eve is still looking at women the way that Adam looked at his wife, Eve. You know, what? if there are non-sexual aspects that are entailed in our sexuality then they are meant for marriage, biblical marriage. You cannot separate it from biblical marriage and, it, and say that it's holy. And the second thing is, is that if you have the power to turn your same-sex attraction, right? Like It's amazing to me. These guys say they can't repent from it. They can't turn from it, but they have the power to turn it to good things. Not only that, but Wesley Hill thinks that he has the power not to repent, not to turn from his homosexuality, but to separate what is holy in his homosexuality and what is unholy. Like, he's got the power to do that, but he doesn't have the power to turn from it. I mean, it's just, it's hmm. what it is, it is soft repentance. They, they are partially repenting, and they're demanding that we say that they are fully repenting. And they're not. It's just a lesser sin, a less heinous sin, right? They're not out here committing sexual immorality, but they're still having perverse desires in their heart that they refuse to repent from. And actually, they say that you can sanctify and glorify God through them. And I'm saying it's just, it's wicked and evil, and you can't sanctify. It comes from the fall. It comes from the flesh. It doesn't come from the spirit. And so these guys are masters of rhetoric, though and the average christian has a difficult time unwinding what they're truly saying
1: yeah well the the congruency if we were to take a heterosexual uh perspective of a similar situation would be if there's a guy who's struggling with lust and has uh, been tempted into lust or pornography or or the objectification of women And his solution to that is to sanctify that lust by working in a women's shelter in order to surround himself by potential victims of his sin and to make himself a victim of sin as well. uh, You know, that just doesn't add up. That doesn't make sense. I've actually never heard that justification for the the sublimation to that extent. That's really, it's disturbing. It's fascinating because certainly what we would hope for is the rejection of sin and the sanctification from that sin, not of the sin itself. That that just doesn't even make sense for what sanctification is if you're following any orthodoxy.
2: Yeah, you can't say that it's walking in the Spirit. It can't come from the flesh and you say, oh, it's actually the Spirit. Like, Paul Mm -hmm. makes a very hard line between the flesh and the Spirit, and they don't become one another. This is something else that... Um, You know, there are guys that argue, like Matthew Lee Anderson, who teaches at Baylor. He's on the advisory council of Revoice. Um, He argues that you can desire something too much. Like you can have a good desire that is too much and it becomes sin. And uh, that's the opposite of what the Apostle Paul teaches in Galatians 5 about walking in the Spirit. The desires of the flesh don't start out holy and then become unholy. or they don't start out unholy and become holy, and the desires of the Spirit don't start out holy and become unholy. Mm -hmm. Um, What happens is, is while you're walking in the Spirit, your flesh produces an evil desire, and you submit to that, but that is not a result of you desiring something too much that is good. I mean, it's it's a sin, right? And so it has to come from the flesh. It's not due to the Holy Spirit's work in you that's producing this. And I think that there's so much going on. You know, folks have an unbiblical view of anthropology. They have an unbiblical view of God, sanctification, repentance, God's wrath, God's holiness. Um, There's so much going on that it's difficult to know where to start. You know, Um, I mean, my book emphasizes just sin, but really if you have a, a solid theology proper, like who God is in and of himself, and what He requires of us, um, you'll be on the right track. But there's so, people want to talk about their feelings all the time. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I feel like worshiping. Oh, I feel, oh, I'm so in love well, it, with God. And It touches it,
1: on this new age Christianity that embraces naturalism, and we, we like to think that we are created sinless, but... You know That goes against the doctrine of original sin and how we perceive that need for a new heart and repentance from our very birth and our conception. Uh, I think Christians are, I mean, we talk about this all the time, they're poorly catechized. There's not proper doctrine being promoted in most churches, and even if it is, people have eyes that are not seeing and ears that are not hearing because it's inconvenient, it's uncomfortable, and it's a lot better to think, oh, what... This is my natural inclination, so it must be good. And I know that it's unnatural to want to kill people, so that must be bad. But it is natural for me to be gay, so that must be good. Well, no. And, and that's always frustrated me. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here. The, uh, the whole argument between conservatives and, and conservative Christians and the gay agenda is the whole i was born this way argument well i don't care i was born a perverted lustful wretch myself but i've rejected that repented and i'm being sanctified by the holy spirit so you know that i don't get an excuse and neither do you that's just ridiculous
2: yeah that that's that's exactly right um we we have to call everyone to repentance and um it's just funny like everybody's treating homosexuality and lgbt issues as these this special sin you have to tiptoe around it you know you have to like a preston sprinkle he is so awful on on almost everything he writes is laced with heresy um he wrote a uh, article for Christianity Today, him and another fella, two or three years ago, and it was on polyamory. And he argued that polyamory was actually the pursuit of something good, like uh, family, uh, love. Like it, it drives me nuts because these guys are such poor theologians. They are pitiful theologians. Uh, let me let me give you an example. So, and it's it's just subtle distinctions. But whenever God created family. He created a specific family. He didn't create desire for family as if any family will do. You know, like someone who is desiring a polyamorous relationship is not desiring something good. There is no goodness in that whatsoever. It's 100% the flesh, 100% sin. It wouldn't exist without the fall. So, I mean, you, you can't say that it's pursuit of something good. I saw a video of an Acts 29 pastor. And uh, they put this out and thought it was a good thing uh, two or three months ago. They've removed the video now. But a guy was talking about how in the LGBT community um, that there is good love there. There ain't no good love there. I mean, can you, can you imagine making that statement about any other community that is built on sin? Let, let's talk about white supremacists and the, K, you know, the KKK. Let's uh, talk about how they have good love for the white race. Mm-hmm. let's talk about the goodness of loving your own race. Maybe you can sublimate that. Maybe we could spin that around and say, you know, the KKK, they just love their race too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's just It's stupid. It's Well, it's well what's stupid. funny
0: is like, if, if we're being as charitable to that argument as possible, I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't know the exact context in the video that you were referring to, but maybe the, the person speaking was referring to you know uh, the way that they love one another in a way that's not uh homoerotic (laughs) but but you know but ultimately that that same uh, to your point earlier um in scriptures you mentioned how the hearer is supposed to assume the best of the speaker well the reality is that there's a whole a group of people who don't consider themselves to be conservative christians That would not give that same benefit of the doubt to the kkk for example so to your point um you know there's there's a group within christianity that does view specifically the the gay or trans community um anything that falls underneath the rainbow banner they do view it they they approach it with kid gloves but uh you know when it comes to um regular christians wanting to to do things like set up their own communities and things like that i mean that's branded white supremacy before there's any any trace of any white white supremacy there it's just accusations baseless accusations are thrown uh towards conservative movements but uh it's always that that punch right nuance left idea that we see so often in so many of these big big eva kind of uh institutions
2: yeah in in tone too man like tone is totally worldly today in christianity we have learned like what sins we can go hard against you know you hear these guys who tiptoe around lgbt stuff when they when they start preaching against racism boy they they really go after it like they like it's the worst sin ever and um but here's here's the thing the lgbt stuff is biblically worse than racism um racism is is bad too um but it is not as heinous as um, lgbt stuff lgbt is literally the turning upside down of god's design and um you know and i mean racism is too but it's to a lesser degree and i know folks folks may lose their minds over that but they can lose their minds over that Um, they
1: will
0: they will
2: (laughs) i mean that that's fine with me you know, it, it just what, what gets on what gets under my skin is our tone must be defined by the Bible. So what does the Bible you know what categories of sin? Now all sin needs atonement, all sin leads to death, but there there are sins that are more heinous, that are more detrimental to us and to others, to God's creation. And um, you know, it, Whatever God's design is, the further you get from that, the more heinous the sin is. So marriage is God's design for sexuality. Sexual morality is a step away from that. Homosexuality is an even further step. This LGBT trans stuff is even further than that. Bestiality is even further than that. And so our tone should get stronger the further you get. So we should preach against LGBT stuff harder than we preach against sexual immorality, though we should preach against sexual immorality. And I mean, it keeps going. It's, it's like saying we need to preach against hate in our hearts, but we especially, you know, we, we agree that murder is worse. Like it is murder in your heart, but it is worse to actually carry it out.
1: I'm not sure I'm falling with you here, and yeah. I I understand what you're saying, but I'm not sure I agree, and the reason is, certainly when we talk about hating in our heart compared to murder, the very point that Jesus is making in Matthew 5 is that when you have hated someone in your heart, you've already murdered them, and he puts those on level ground that they are damnable.
2: So They're, they're damnable. But so what why is more we
1: handle them to any different degree?
2: What is more heinous is the question. Like, what is worse, hating your brother in your heart, or actually going and murdering your brother? Like, they, now
1: they're both equally damnable. That's the point that Jesus is making. So, w- by what standard do we determine that one is more heinous than the other?
2: Well, I mean, the the confessions say that not all sin is equal i mean this what i'm saying has been a universal understanding of christianity for centuries um it's all damnable but what is more heinous right now we understand this right i mean when someone someone punches someone they might get a day in jail someone kills someone they get more like there's retributive justice There's an eye for an eye where the punishment fits the crime. And what I'm saying is, is when we preach against sin, it has to fit the crime. It has to, the tone has to correspond to how heinous the sin is. And so what I'm saying is the further you get from God's design, the more detrimental it is to humanity and the more detrimental it is to your neighbor. Um, It's one thing to... Um, have a lustful desire in your heart, which is sin and evil. You need to kill it. But if you actually go and act on that, it's going to be more detrimental to your marriage. It's going to be more detrimental to the person you commit the act with. Um, it's going to like. It's going to be. It's going to destroy societies. You know, like, and I think this is James James point in James one and James four. Where he talks about James one, he's you know he talks about how it's you know counted all joy when you have various trials, and um, then later on he says um, he's basically encouraging his hearers to take responsibility for their temptations in the midst of these trials. So he's saying that God's not responsible; he's responsible for the trial. He's not responsible for your temptation in the midst of the trial, and so he's telling them to take responsibility for it. But in uh, in James 4, he says that they're not taking responsibility for their desires, and so they're murdering each other, they're killing each other. Um, he's telling them to repent at the point of desire. Why? Because, yes, it's evil to have a murderous desire in your heart, but it's even more evil to actually go and kill someone. Mm-hmm. But... But I mean, we're we're agreeing they're all damnable. It's all damnable yeah. sin. It's just there's well, a different. I think
1: the distinction, if I may, the distinction that I'm gathering is that it is not a soteriological justice difference. It is a civil justice that you're discussing, and the retributive justice that is enacted in the civil society of the people of God has a greater detriment based on the degree of sin. But the the soteriological condition is not altered by the severity of the sin. Is that an accurate representation of what you're saying?
2: Soteriological.
1: So what I'm, what I mean is You're talking about
2: atonement? Does Jesus have to atone more for um, the act of murder than the desire for murder?
1: Our salvation and the, the salvation from sin... Is no greater for murder than for hatred, because it is absolute and complete. Regardless, uh, it, it has covered all sins. But that does not change the the civil justice piece that that impacts our lives. You know, just like you said, if someone goes and murders a bunch of people, they will spend their life in jail, rightfully so. And even outside of our our national civil law there are certain things like homosexuality that have a greater recompense in the life of an individual participating in that sin than if they were closeted and struggling with a pornography addiction, for example. So there's a greater detriment to their actions in sin, but when it comes to their salvation and it comes to the weight of their sin at the foot of the cross, Christ's blood is capable of cleansing all sins. I guess sure. that's what I'm getting at. Sure,
2: and I, I agree with all that. Where I think we might disagree is concerning sanctification, that there are sins that are more detrimental in our sanctification, um, that there are degrees of um, detriment to, to our own sanctification um, sanctification is a cooperating reality where we actually have to walk in the spirit. Now, God is the one doing it, but we have a responsibility to live out of what he's doing. And, um, if we're submitting to the flesh, it's going to be more detrimental to us. And if you go, you know, it's like, I mean, it's like drugs. Oh, I I have a desire for drug in my heart. Well, I repent of that. And I repent of it every time. Well, what happens when I go and I and I actually do the drugs. Well, now the flesh has gotten a taste for it, and its appetite has been wet, and it's insatiable. You know, the flesh cannot be satisfied. And so now the hot coal, which was dormant, besides a little flicker, has now, it's a fire. And the more I feed that, the more it's going to grow. Like, you, you know what I mean? The outward... Um, so it hurts sanctification. This is why, um, I mean, pornography, pornography is awful, but I think it is more, even more detrimental to sanctification to visit prostitutes. Um, both of them are evil and wicked. Um, but there, there are degrees of heinousness, right? Like, um, is, is my understanding of, uh, of, of something that, the reason the only reason I brought this up is because of um, because well guys like JD. Greer, who's uh, used to be the president of the SBC and pastors of one of the largest SBC churches, he he preaches entire sermons trying to argue that homosexuality is just as heinous as disobeying your parents. and uh, he tries to use Romans 1 to argue that. and that's what not what Romans one is saying. Romans 1, in that whole chapter, the only sin that is called unnatural is homosexuality.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, every other one is according to nature, or it's in line with nature. It's not unnatural. I mean, it's sin, and so it's detrimental, but it is not as detrimental as homosexuality. But anyway, I, I think that there are uh, degrees of, um, of sin concerning sanctification and you know, but concerning salvation, concerning atonement, um no, sin is sin. you break one you know one command of the law you're guilty of you're a lawbreaker, you know, and so yeah, well, yeah. um I'm glad. so Christ I'm satisfies yeah, yeah, Christ satisfies God's wrath entirely towards mm-hmm. us um but uh, but I mean, I plead with people to flee, you know, flee heinous sin um because there, there are degrees of sin that will be more detrimental to you and your family and your church, you know, like you're, you're uh, you know, you have somebody in your church who, um, I mean, let's say they're, I don't, I don't know that speeding is a good example, but, um, you know, maybe not to paying their taxes. And then you've got a guy over here who's visiting prostitutes, you know, which one's going to be more detrimental to your local congregation? Um, I mean, both of them will be, but which one will do, probably do more damage to the family, to the church, to the, you know, there, there are, there are degrees. But anyway, um, Well, well Jared, if,
0: if the guy doesn't pay his taxes, then, then we can't fund drag queen story hour. So naturally <laughs> the guy skipping out on taxations is clearly hurting the congregation much more than the man visiting prostitutes. So,
2: yeah, yeah, there you go i've actually had both those not in my church but i've got buddies are pastors and they've dealt with both of those things and um you know it's it's wicked it's awful well what's
0: interesting is uh something that you said a moment ago made me think that uh you, you know growing up i definitely uh was of the belief that sin is sin and of course sin is sin in the in the sense that it's it's damnable as we already talked about um but that that heinous aspect um how it can affect your your sanctification? That's the distinction that I didn't learn until uh, until later in life, and I think it's one that I've been continuing to expand upon my knowledge and to really grasp that concept. Um, you know, and uh, and I used to use this, and because I've I heard it in the church, the American church, I think catechizes people in in this same line of thinking, which is um, homosexuality. Of course, is a sin, but you know what else is a sin, American gluttony you know it's like this this checkmate that that uh that pastors and um and and church members have used over over the years to again handle the area of of uh lgbtqia plus uh sin with kid gloves um and of course again gluttony is obvious it is a sin of course and i'm sure that you could find extreme examples where someone's so gluttonous that maybe that they're they're damaging their family, uh, you know, in a way that's proportionate to a homosexual relationship. Maybe you can make that argument, but as a whole, uh, you know, a, a pastor preaching a sermon and, the, and then going and and uh, and eating a couple of quarter pounders is maybe maybe not a good idea for how he's uh, handling the temple that is his body. But at the same time, to pretend that that's on the same level as the man who goes out and pays a prostitute or uh, you know goes on grinder and hooks up with a with a member of the same sex i mean it's not the same thing
1: can i say why i think that is and yeah please. and honestly i think that the church over the past 30 years and maybe longer than that has been responding to uh, just a polarization where at one point you know th- during the 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 revivals and you know christians were very legalistic very rigid in their perspectives And at some point, all of the people who had labeled themselves as homosexuals and acted upon these sins and acted in this way were utterly ostracized by the church, sometimes rightly so, but then there was, I think, an overcorrection where we went from the church not responding well and not acting in love towards sinners to then in an attempt to be loving has, as we've been saying, put the kid kid gloves on. So now we're not willing to confront the sin for risk of damaging the sinner. But I think that's an overcorrective response to a church in previous generations having been so harsh against the specific sexual sins of homosexuality while turning a blind eye to heterosexual sins. And I I think we now are seeing an overcorrection of that it doesn't justify either one of them. I think we're caught between two extremes that are very negative by the church and the response. But yeah, Jared, I'm curious to know what your what your thought is on that.
2: Um, you know, I've been pastoring 23 years, and I've never met a glutton ever. Um, the biblical definition of gluttony. I mean, there are feasts in the Bible, the Old Testament, Israel. They feasted all the time, so feasting is not inherently sinful. It's when food is an idol. And I've only heard of one glutton, where someone's actually eating themselves to death. I mean, look at teenagers. When you were a teenager, didn't you eat whatever you wanted all the time? And mean you we didn't should have been doing that. Well, right, but what I'm saying is, is people wouldn't say, "Look, that teenagers a glutton." They they would say, obviously, that fat person over there is a glutton. When that fat person may just have a super low metabolism, be on two or three medications, they're lowering their heart rate. Like the arrogance, I would like to sit some of these people down next to someone who is severely overweight and see who the true glutton is. You know, and um it aggravates me because it's it's an excuse to try to dumb down the heinousness of LGBT sin. And um, because they act like everybody in the South is a glutton. Being obese doesn't mean that you're a glutton. Just like being skinny doesn't mean that you're healthy or not a glutton. Yep. It may just mean you have high metabolism. I mean, how many people do you know that eat like horses? And they'd never gain a pound. Like, it, it just... I I think the whole gluttony thing is just a cop-out. Lecrae said that recently. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was trying to say that same-sex desire is not sin, homosexuality is not sin. He said it right before Christmas. I put the video on, on my Twitter, and he said, why do we preach against this? Why not? We never preach against gluttony. And I'm just like, the reason why we don't preach against gluttony is because there ain't no gluttons. I mean, there might be a few. But how many people in your church are eating themselves to death? Like literally, they're eating themselves to death. Because when you look at gluttony in the first century, they had those vomitoriums. They would go feast, they would go throw up, and then they would go back and they would eat again. I mean, that who who do you know that does that? Yeah. I mean, it was a pagan thing. It was associated with paganism. Who in your church is worshiping food? Who in your church is worshiping their their senses but
0: well i don't want to get too far off topic because obviously we could definitely um pull on this thread a lot but we because we have talked a lot about you know physical fitness and um and making sure to to treat your body right with a lot of the stuff that that you eat um he wasn't able to be on the show because uh um we had a last minute cancellation but john moody um you know he's someone that we've been trying to have on the show and um of course he preaches a lot of the uh uh, the lifestyle choices that can lead to more natural eating and things like that. So I'm just curious what your what's your thoughts are on on that point, Jared because I think I agree with you in, in regards to uh, it's not too often that we see people uh, eating themselves to death like my 600 pound life although obviously they exist because that's why we have a show my 600 pound life you know uh, but but um, what's what's your take just on, I guess at what point does a person become responsible for treating their body as a temple and making sure they're eating good? Obviously, you can idolize fitness, you can idolize healthy eating, just like you can idolize eating junk food. Um, but at what point do you think a person is responsible? Because I think that's what I would maybe argue as a modern day glutton is someone who uh, you know, eats fast food every single day and doesn't ever think about the consequences of what fast food does to them. Um, because most Americans know that fast food's at least not good for you. Maybe they don't know the, all the science behind how, and maybe they don't know all the, uh, the severity levels of each food that they eat. But, uh, you know, just to pull on this thread just for a little bit before we kind of get back on track to, with uh, lust of the flesh, but of course this is a sure. lust of the flesh. So what's your take on when someone becomes responsible?
2: Um, we've got to be good stewards. I would encourage people to be good stewards, but the gluttony is a very difficult sin to pinpoint to where you can look at someone. It's not a sin. You can look at someone and say, you're a glutton. It's not someone that you can look at and even eat a meal with them and say, you're a glutton. I mean, it's literally someone, it's going to be very hard unless you just, you know, unless you're with them, constantly or i I don't see how you can pinpoint it but we are we do need to be good stewards of what the lord has given us um but you can get real legalistic real quick yeah whenever you start saying well you know you can eat fast food five times a month or seven times a month you do it eight you're sinning or you know you can have pie because i mean who eats good at thanksgiving right like and christmas if you have like five different family things. I mean, who, who's feasting and who isn't. Um, and the, the people
1: feasting and gluttony are not the same.
2: Right, right, right. That's That's what I'm saying. Like there, there, there there is, but what if you're feasting every meal? And that, that's the question. Like, is it inherently sinful to feast every meal? Um, I think we've got to make sure that we're not idolizing food, worshiping food. Um, and also the physical fitness stuff, we've got to be careful not not to be boastful of our physique or uh, the love of the body to where we want to display it for others to see rather than our spouses or, you know, just trying to be healthy rather than the worldly standard for, you know, there was a, there was a, uh, this has been 20 years ago, but there was a, a publisher that put out a magazine it was actually a Bible, but it was, it was made like a, um, like a fashion magazine for teenage girls, which is an awful idea, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, the, but everybody in that magazine, they were all skinny. They were all, um, they all look like the models on TV. And, um, you know, just just putting that out there that this is the standard of holiness, or this is the standard of um, appearance or beauty. I just think we've got to be careful with that as, as Christians, because there there are different body types, there are different bone you know structures, there are different um, you know someone can be healthy and um, and not be skinny and not look physically fit. You know, there are, there are fellas, there are people in my church that run like, I don't know how many miles every week, but they've got a, still got a little belly, you know, like, I mean, is that inherently sinful? And I I don't think it's something that we can, we can judge necessarily, but the, we do need to be careful with like diabetes and, but from what I understand, if you live long enough, you're going to get diabetes. I mean, like if you, as healthy as you can be, if you live to be a certain age, like you're 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 because of what we eat it is because of what we eat but a lot of what you
0: an american situation for sure yeah
2: yeah yeah. because it's in it's the sugar you know in the breads and all that's we we eat that too much even people who are healthy like i had a deacon at my last church he might have weighed 110 pounds soaking wet and he ate three or four eggs every single morning lived to be in his 80s like I mean there there are people in our church who live to be over a hundred years old that were t tiny and did not i mean they ate whatever they wanted till they died you know like, i just i mean there's genetics and there's all kinds of stuff in there but uh, to answer your question, I would encourage people that when we eat the goal is to love God and our neighbor and and so like me right now like i'm I'm doing intermittent fasting um i need to i want to lose weight i want to be a better steward so that i can potentially um live longer live long enough to care for my wife my children um care for christ church and do that to the best of my ability so i'm trying to be healthier being a good steward but i don't know that that would be inherently sinful if i would weighed what i weigh like if i if i even if i gain some weight would it be inherently sinful to gain some weight you know i'm just i think it's a conscience thing more than it's a here's the here's what you must do
1: there's much to be said about the difference between beauty standards and health i mean those are as far apart as can be because beauty standards typically are wildly unhealthy Yeah, Whether you're talking about runway models who starve themselves and are historically known for bulimia and anorexia. Or fat acceptance. (laughs) Or fat acceptance or bodybuilders who are severely dehydrated when they're in photo shoots. I mean, we have this understanding of what looking good is supposed to be like. But I think you're right, Jared, that there are people who are heavier who can be healthy. There are people who are scrawny and can be healthy. And for me, in my understanding of scripture and my understanding of the disciplines that God calls us to, uh, stewardship is 100% of the game, is how we steward our bodies. So I commend you and what you're doing to make yourself healthier so that you can serve your family well and so that you can serve the kingdom well with every day that you have on this earth. Because I know in my life, if I'm going to live till 91, I want to be running up and down stairs at 90. I don't want to be wheelchair bound at 75 and then live the rest of my days in an old folks home because I didn't take care of my body. So when it comes to the whole gluttony thing, in my perspective, you may disagree. I don't know that that's so much of an individualized sin as much as it is a, a corporate sin that our nation in particular struggles against and it's inundated in our culture the struggle against diabetes and obesity is largely because of the foods that we have deemed to be acceptable, which should not be acceptable. And I'm not just talking about fast food. I'm talking about what you can get down at Kroger and everything in between. We feed ourselves garbage. And in my estimation, that is poor stewardship of the body that God has given us. I think as part of sanctification, God continues to call us into health as well. And not every saint goes that direction, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. Um, I would encourage it, it. The difficulty comes like, I mean, a dude looking at pornography is sinning. A dude visiting prostitutes is sinning. Someone telling lies is sinning. Someone who's eating fast food every day, I can't necessarily say you're sinning. You know what I'm saying like
1: this is a I, bigger discussion that we have right here. Yeah. I would call it sinning, <laughs> but I would not call it transgressing. But that's a that's a distinction for another time.
2: Well that is interesting. Yeah, that's a distinction. Yeah, we need to talk about that sometime because Exodus 34 that's an, a, a distinction without a uh difference. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> <laughs>
1: well the, the difference is the volition behind it. I, mean, I think someone uh, eating yeah. garbage unknowingly is still sinning against the stewardship that God has called them to. But that does not mean that they're choosing to betray God himself. And throughout, you know, nearly the entire Pentateuch, there is very little said about repentance from sins of volition, as much as there are sins of circumstance. But hmm. yeah, that's a larger conversation than we can have <laughs> probably at this moment and still, yeah, yeah I'm track. I'll, I'll yeah. derail you both
0: then by going to the chat. Michaela asked a good question. She said, do you think this can correspond with verses that talk about how some Christians will be rewarded higher than others? Can we therefore say that there is also sin that is worse than others, just as some will be rewarded for higher good than others? I hope I made that made sense. I'm limited on my words. So, Jared, I'll turn it over to you for that.
2: Yeah, I think that she's right. I th- that's what I meant by sanctification, where the the judgment seat of Christ, where there'll be loss or reward for Christians, but they're still going to heaven, you know. And um, Jesus talks about, you know, people in hell who will be beaten with more stripes, and so I I I think that that's for hell as well, you know. I think that there is, um, you know, hell's a place. Hell's a eternal conscious torment i believe there's literal burning um and there's evidently a worse punishment for some who were even more heinous you know and but uh but all those who are in christ go to heaven and all those who aren't go to hell yeah yeah but yeah i think i think that she's right
0: Mm -hmm. well i'm gonna pull up um something here to to get you guys' reactions to. So um, some of you may have already heard this already, but uh, Alistair Begg was recently um, in hot water because he had advised uh, advised someone who emailed him for advice on how they should handle their uh, transgender grandson's wedding. So I'm going to go ahead and play the audio here for you guys. Um, Hopefully it's coming across. So here we go.
3: In very specific areas this comes across i mean you and i know that we feel questions all the time that go along the lines of uh, my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person and i don't know what to do about this and i'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do which Mm. is a huge responsibility and in a conversation like that just a few days ago um and uh, people may not like this answer but i asked the i asked the grandmother Does your grandson understand your uh, belief in Jesus? Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance uh, in any affirming way the choices that he has made in life? Yes. I said, well, then, okay, as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony Mm -hmm. and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Oh, she said, "What?" She was caught off guard. I said, "Well, here's the thing. They're, you're not going to your your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought judgmental." critical, unprepared mm-hmm. to countenance, anything. And it is a fancy, it is a fine line, isn't it? It really yeah. is. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're going to take that risk. We're going to have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and, and don't understand that he is a king.
0: Well, there we have it. So that was Alistair Begg in his own words. So obviously a a lot of people have been talking about that on Christian Twitter. So, um, Jared, I'll I'll go to you to get your initial thoughts on what Alistair was saying there,
2: man. I love Alistair Begg. Um, I actually sent him my manuscript to endorse this book. I'm so glad he didn't endorse it now. Um, but, uh, he ran out of time. He said, or, Got busy, but uh, this may explain why he didn't endorse it. Um, he's a hundred percent wrong. A hundred percent wrong biblically. He's a hundred percent wrong concerning love. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. And by you attending a wedding, you are affirming the marriage. And by you buying a gift, you are celebrating the marriage. It's not a marriage it's not a one flesh union it can't be Mm -hmm. not if it's a trans person it's either a boy who's gotten cut or a girl who's gotten hormones or what i don't know but uh but you i mean he he's 100 percent wrong and if that grandson gets saved he will appreciate those who did not attend his wedding more than those who did that that's the thing. Like, it's not love to affirm people in their sin, and it it's kind of. I mean, I wonder, I wonder what Beg would say uh, if it was a again. I keep using racism because it's the worst sin in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, a KKK ceremony. You know what if what if that was the question? Would he still encourage them to? Do they know your position? Do they know that you're against racism? Well, then you should attend and buy them a gift. And let me be clear. Christians are judgmental and so is everyone else. And this unbeliever who's marrying a trans person is judging Christians. Everyone's judgmental. Even me saying you're judgmental is a judgmental statement. The question is, are you judging rightly according to the word of God? And the grandmother would be, and I don't care if people think we're judgmental. I just, I just don't care. The reason why they think that is because they hate God. I mean, you're you're literally trying to appease a God hater, and I, I just have no room for that. Because when they are saved and their eyes are opened, they're not going to see that anymore. They will see the grandmother as loving for not coming. I mean, we in my own family. I've got a we've got a cousin who's a lesbian, was getting married and invited everybody. And we all told her we're not coming. <laughs> you know? I mean, we love you, but we're not coming. And uh, that's more loving. She can think that it is heartbreaking and all that stuff. She can think that. But I would if it was a promiscuous person who has an unbiblical marriage and has stolen a woman from a man from a, a marriage, like adultery, an adulterous wedding, I wouldn't go participate in that either. And I would tell them, look, I love you, but I'm not going to participate.
0: Yeah. And the reality is every aspect of our culture is affirming these people right now. Mm-hmm. So the reality is, is as hard as it might be for grandma to not attend this wedding, she may be the only voice that is dissenting. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I mean, does Christ call us to look like the world? Should we, should we look like the rest of the world that is currently affirming that person's choices? I mean, what's going to stand out more when grandma lines up with the establishment view of all the institutions to just go to the wedding and affirm, or is she going to stand out more if she's the one lone voice that said, I love you, but I'm not going.
1: But Did you hear in that clip that we listened to, he gives his justification for, for why, why in theory someone should attend and it's so that the so that the couple is not affirmed in their presuppositions about what christians are yep and i think that goes back to what we were saying earlier about the kind of the overreaction from having a past that would have been so extremely in opposition to homosexuality as they should be but at the expense of treating people cruelly and not loving them Now we're not loving them because we're willing to accept them in their sin. At what point do we start actually loving people who are struggling with homosexuality and call them to repentance and start living a life oriented towards loving them? I mean, we have this wrong, this dichotomy that exists in the church where it's like either you're going to reject them and utterly disassociate and condemn them to hell without ever looking back or you're going to accept them bring them into your church and go to their weddings and and participate in their lifestyle there has to be another ground and you know we look at christ in the gospels he got a bad rap for hanging out with sinners with tax collectors with uh, sexually promiscuous individuals with histories of these things he got a, a bad reputation from the religious officials. And we see we see that as an example of okay, we need to reach out to the least of these. We need to show love, show compassion. But somehow we get lost in this understanding of the church does. I, I clearly we don't, but you know, the Lutherans, the United Methodists, Presbyterians, there there's a set list of churches that have become so lost thinking that loving means accepting. But think about those people that Jesus was reaching out to, those people he was talking to and touching and eating with. He wasn't accepting them. He called them to repentance. And when he provided them with forgiveness because of their repentance, he said, go and sin no more. How often do we get to have that conversation as we're supposed to with individuals who have been caught up in homosexuality and have found repentance. I mean, it's hard enough to find an individual who does come to that point of repentance out of that because nobody's asking for it. But if they would, are we willing to say, go and sin no more and let me walk with you in discipleship and let me, let me disciple you as we walk together in sanctification? I mean, that's the biblical model, but I don't see it hardly anywhere ever. Especially about this issue.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I've been I've been telling my church for a long time that there's gonna be a lot of hurting people who need the gospel. Um, because I mean what what's being sold concerning mutilating their bodies and um it's not gonna end well and it'll be an opportunity for the gospel to spread. And um I think that's what we need to emphasize and we do need to walk with people in repentance and faith and, um, you know, we need to trust the Lord to, to intervene and, and change people's lives. So uh, we need to quit worrying about rhetoric and how we're going to sound and what people feel. And um, I mean, I think, I just think that's a trap. You know, I, I try to, I do try to preach in a way that is not, um, overbearing I guess you could say but if the gospel offends it offends and if the word offends then it offends and so I do say whatever the text says and I try to say it with the force that the text says and um, you know people it may hurt their feelings or but I mean every person who's ever repented got their feelings hurt isn't that why they repent right mm-hmm. like yeah. it, it, it's the harshness of the gospel and the law the tutor that brings you to Christ and you got dudes who refuse to preach the law. They want to coddle people. Say you're not that bad, you're not sinning. No wonder people run around calling themselves gay Christians. They won't repent. They're not being told to repent. Yeah. They're I mean, I, I mean in JD Greer's sermon that he preached, he uh he acted like God can change everything about you except this, except homosexuality. And he even says that the worst sin is not homosexuality the worst sin? Is our idolatry, where we put things above God? Homosexuality and, um, is idolatry, but right? Right, but he but he's good. saying that God can change that sin, that idolatry. But he it, it just it drives me nuts. It's it's being treated as this special sin, and we just need to treat it like every other sin. We need to how do you walk with people through repenting of any other sin? It's no different. It's no different walk the same way with this sin, you know, and call people to repentance. And, and um yeah you know, I think there's victory to be had and people are missing out because they're running to the mirror rather than running to Christ. And um what, what you're talking about, uh, Michael, is uh, we used to be Pharisaical in our preaching, it sounds like, what you're saying. And now we're more like yeah. the Sadducees and Herodians. We're either worldly or liberal, theologically liberal. Mm-hmm. and um christ said beware the leaven of the pharisees the sadducees and herodians and uh, i think that's right on like we we there's ditches all over the place and we got to try to steer clear of them and they're really about turning the page and preaching the text when it's popular and when it's unpopular when people like it and when they don't and um you know i'm reminded uh john MacArthur, you know the the dude who started the uh the guy who started the gay pride parade in Los Angeles, he got HIV and he went and attended MacArthur's church. He was raised evangelical and he went there to repent. And he told when he he came down after the service and told MacArthur, I didn't think you'd ever finish, um, because he wanted to publicly repent and he was anxious to. Long story short, he got saved and spent the rest of his life, which was only a few years, um, witnessing to people in that sin. What if MacArthur had been wishy-washy on that sin? He would not have attended his church. He went there because he had a reputation. um, A reputation for being... For preaching what the Bible says, and uh, that's the kind of reputation that I want our church to have. Where if you're a sinner and you're wanting to get out, you're wanting to be saved, that you'll come here.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, you know the reality, and this is what I would say to to Alistair. And I don't know much of Alistair's work, obviously, Jared. It sounds like you're much more familiar with it than. Than I would be, but specifically talking about this incident incident alone, I would just point out how we've had decades of secret sensitive preaching and secret sensitive um, church congregants, and you know, it really started a lot a lot with the sort of the 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 Jesus movement, and a a lot of good things you know maybe came from that movement. You could say Um, a lot of a lot of bad things came from that movement. you know, just just where we started having um, more commercialized churches, and we were so focused on on uh, bringing the word to the people, uh, and that was what the pitch was. But ultimately, it was more like making the word more digestible to the people um, in a way where we watered down the gospel. And we've had several decades of that. And now look at the shape our country's in. I mean, obviously, there's always sins of the past that we can point to. But if you want to point back several decades you know we could say that in in many areas the the nuclear family was more intact um there was a lot more flourishing in our in our culture um obviously there's always the exceptions that you can find racism being a big one that someone's immediately going to point out but <laughs> as we keep touching on that um but uh but uh you know either way decades of secret sensitive movement and the fruit that we have is we have a culture that's more apostate than ever and we have generations of people that are absolutely hurting and you know we not everyone that listens to our podcast is christian so you know some people might have thought that we went pretty hard tonight on uh you know on on the topic but i w- i would just point out some fruits that we see going on right now after after a person transitions uh with gender reassignment surgery um they are they are 20 times more likely to commit suicide that's that's i mean that's that's what some of the studies that we have and and a lot of those studies are heavily skewed in favor of these surgeries because there's a profit incentive for them to be and yet we still see that there's a 20 percent raise in, in suicidality after transition um and you know a lot of studies try to ignore that by only interviewing the people after the first couple of weeks of transition but if you actually kept with the person you'll see these these alarming signs and so you have to ask yourself what's more loving that we that we stand on the word and we make a point to uh, to uh, call out sin or, you know, is it more loving that we just ignore it? We be secret sensitive, we go to these weddings and we pretend that it's hunky-dory and uh, suddenly these these loved ones that we're trying so hard to to love really, really, uh, uh, really well by capitulating, ultimately the, the the loved one ends up hurting themselves or something awful to that effect or becoming hurt with, you know, um, HIV is the example that you used a moment ago, Jared, you know, there's a lot of other uh, negative fruit that comes from these actions. So we ultimately have to ask ourselves, uh, do we want to be seeker sensitive to the detriment of our culture and to our, our loved ones that are struggling with these things, or do we want to be perceived as mean? And, and nowadays it's a harder fight because of how many decades we've gone through, but you know, ultimately what, what's going to bear the best fruit I, I'm willing to be seen as mean. If it ultimately means that I can potentially, turn a few people around that are willing to listen to my harsh rhetoric, um, turn them around from a path that leads to destruction.
2: Amen. Amen. and uh, Jesus was not seeker sensitive. Um, I remember the, you remember the text, the rich young ruler, and he tells Jesus that he's kept the law from his youth. And Mark says, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then Jesus says, go sell everything you own, give it to the poor, come and follow me. Mm -hmm. And he went away sorrowful. So literally Jesus told him the one thing that he was worshiping, which he's probably worshiping all those other things too, right? But he told him, exposed his heart, laid it bare, and the dude chose riches over Jesus. And so Jesus was not seeker-sensitive at all in that exchange, and none of the other ones. I mean, I, what, which one was he secret sensitive when he told the, you know, the woman at the well, Hey, you're promiscuous, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I mean, like yeah. who does that, who meets someone. And then within, you know, a first conversation says, yeah, you're promiscuous, yeah. you know, like, I mean, have y'all ever done that? I've never done that. i've never been that blunt with anybody maybe i should be yeah like like i mean who what bible are we reading whenever we think that jesus was this i don't know this i don't know how to describe it this rick warren type of savior (laughs) like this (laughs) joe osteen type of savior that is not who jesus is when you look at the numerous examples in the Bible, he looks at Peter and calls him Satan. You ever called anybody in your church Satan?
1: Your <laughs> closest <his> friend, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know,
2: like I mean, I just what, what Bible are we reading? It, it, we're not reading. We everybody talks about Jesus, but they don't know him. They don't know his rhetoric. They don't know how biting and cutting he was. How he literally, and this is why the author of Hebrews talks about the word slaying your heart, laying you bare, and you know, cutting the marrow. And I mean, it just the the word exposes us. And uh, if you're preaching the word, you're going to be called mean. And if you're not being called mean, you're not preaching the word. Mm. And so we we need to turn the page and preach the text. My my goal literally is to slay people with the law. I want the people in my congregation. To have their hearts cut in two by the law so that the Savior can come in and heal them. But if they're not cut, they will not be healed. So you have to preach the text in such a way that everybody hearing you quits running to the mirror, quits running to the world, and runs to Jesus. And I just, that type of preaching just isn't out there that much anymore now i think that alistair just struck out here like i I don't have any reason to believe unless there's you know i've listened to a lot of his sermons and i've never heard anything like this so i don't know where in the world this came from
0: um so it should definitely give his listeners a a hesitancy to trust him on the issues going forward Sure. he should definitely be under a watchful eye you know, going forward because he yeah. has a large platform. Um, and
1: he has the opportunity you know. to amend his words as well.
2: I mean, I he does. He does. He does.
1: With this back, I'm sure that is a thought.
2: Yeah. I hope he does. I hope he does. But these dudes, that's something else we could talk about. Right. I, I don't know. I haven't preached in like we've been out because we've been snowed in. And so we just now are getting out of it and so that's why I'm talking so much guys. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> you um, love it. You're our guest. That's the goal. <laughs> I, I preach three times a week. And so I'm used to, used to preaching for, you know, two and a half hours a week or more. And, um, and so I'm, I'm missing that, but, uh, but yeah, I, I do love Alistair, but I, I hope he repents, but the, these do, these celebrity guys, I, I can't think of any of them that have repented publicly for anything. Yeah. Um, even the dudes that, like, fail morally, usually it's some. <laughs> I don't know. You can call it repentance. It's something that a PR firm wrote, and they release it for him. You know. And but, but yeah, anyway, I, I'm hopeful that he repents. That I, you know, pastors, I. Everybody knows we sin, and when you sin publicly, why not show people how to repent? Like, of all the things that we yeah. want to show people how to do. Why not show your congregation what it looks like to repent? Hmm. was well, in, in
1: most cases, especially the, the moral cases that you're discussing, uh, pastors caught in immortality, immorality and specific, specifically sexual misconduct, usually they're not the one offering up the confession. And if they were, it would usually come with a repentance, I imagine. Usually it's someone else has found them out and they're being exposed and caught in the midst of their sin. So, since they yeah. don't have a repentant heart to begin with, I, I would suppose that's why the repentance is not their first thought.
0: Yeah, Michael Foster be. put out a tweet recently, actually, kind of on the subject. He talked about how usually, uh, usually, what happens is. The pastor, you know, steps away and it says that he just needs some some time. The family needs some time, and then, like months later, it comes out that he's having an affair. Their marriage is ending, and then, you know, the pastor has gone apostate. And but but the church saw that they're stepping away because they need some time to, you know, really think about, you know, their family life and their. Uh, they're calling on the ministry and then oftentimes these guys also end up going back into ministry that was the other thing that he said you know after after they've you know remarried to their second wife and whatever the case may be and it's like Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that there's truth in that because sadly i've i've seen it i've seen it at uh at different churches Uh, luckily none of the churches that i've I've ever attended for longer than a six-month period but i've definitely seen some of these churches that i've helped out at during my uh uh, during during my time interning and things like that that where yeah people will step down because they they just have to step away because they're burnt out and then you find out that they're not burnt out they're they're having
1: a they're affairs <laughs> yeah. you know
0: and and yeah so ultimately we we need more pastors to be real about it and hopefully alistair will just uh come out and say hey i i i screwed up you know um this is what I should have done. I think what's uh, some of the people that are really going after Alistair right now, the, the fixation that they had and I can understand it is the fact that it was premeditated because he received an email from, from the, the grandma. And then of course he sent the email back. So that means he had time to think about it. And in addition to that, then he brings it up on this other platform in an interview. And so it really, it really is kind of a premeditated, um, Incident, which is why, again, I would say if you're a fan of Alistair, again, I don't know much of his work, but I trust Jared's uh, opinion of of him. Um, Just watch him with your eyes wide open and maybe in this particular area, take him with a a pound of salt until you see that he's acknowledged the error uh, in this circumstance. And, um, you know, obviously doesn't mean every bit of work that he's done is bad, but um, going forward, he should definitely have a magnifying glass over him right now um, by people in the church who have the ability to to recognize and call it out, so that uh, we don't continue to platform someone who is beginning to um, uh, to basically just continue to um, compromise.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, the tough part is as much lashback as he'll get from the evangelical community. He will get equal, if not more so, affirmation. You know, he's going to have plenty of Christians who are saying, finally, someone said what we've been thinking all this time is that we need to go and show love. That's what we're doing is we're showing love by attending and and being affectionate. But love is not always affectionate. Right. And uh, the affections of the Spirit are for righteousness. So...
0: Yeah, because all the all the million Doctor Jared Moores in the world that we have in all of our pulpits, they just keep <laughs> beating up on us and bullying us. So thank goodness we finally have a rare voice of reason in our culture to <laughs> to <you> know, <laughs> compromise uh, towards the left.
1: <laughs> but it, you know, we've said before on the podcast that the left is the great. The great misunderstanding of the left is that they are moral in their positions because they seek what feels right. But the horrible atrocity that is to righteousness is that what feels right is rarely right. And it do not. Those who follow their hearts will end in folly, but those who trust in wisdom will come through safely. I mean, that's it's a the great misunderstanding of our culture is that it's more compassionate to mothers of unplanned pregnancies to allow them to terminate their pregnancies, that it's more compassionate to accept people in their sexual preferences than it is to call them into repentance. That it's more acceptable to affirm someone in the hardship of mental health that they're enduring and to affirm them to the point that they enact irreversible damage to their bodies so that they can be the gender that they feel like. We have this great misconception that that is compassion, but we live in a world that has misunderstood love.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. They don't know what love is because they don't know who God is. And uh, God is, um, you know, there's a C.S. Lewis book on the Psalms, and, he, and there's some errors in there, but um, he talks about how often when we study scripture, we see ourselves smiling back at us. And that's, that's how people read the Bible, if they read it at all. Mm-hmm. They amazingly find that what they've believed is confirmed. You know? <laughs> and so their, their goal isn't to read the word and to be under it, you know, to be under its authority to read it and believe it rather than to read it and um, get it in a headlock and twist it, you know, and to rhetorically use it to follow your heart, but rather, you know, to cut your heart, to correct your heart. And, and uh, folks just aren't doing that. And um, so beg, big is against the LGBT stuff. His response was wrong concerning how to re- respond to it. You know what I'm saying? Like he so his is a functional problem. It's yeah. still sin. It's still what he said, I believe, is encouraging the grandma to sin and what he said was sin. Um, but it's not the same as him saying, No, you need to affirm the we- their, the wedding. You know, right. you need to affirm. you know what I'm saying? Like it's still bad, it's still awful, it's still wrong. Um, but it's not, you know, um, I don't think we have to you know kick him to the curb and now he's a heretic um but it is a form of functional heresy
0: yeah yep i agree so again we'll just move forward with alistair with our eyes open and sure we'll be praying that he can you know uh ultimately see the error of his ways and maybe maybe he'll surprise us and he'll publicly come out against uh against that and clarify so we will be praying for that but um, Jared, I want to, I want to make sure that you have a chance to plug your book because it's definitely a great read. Um, I have, uh, read quite a bit of it. Um, so I, I very much enjoyed it. It's been a blessing to me. So, uh, and it's, it's very timely, uh, as we are talking about all these issues. So
2: did you, uh, would you disagree? You disagree with anything in it?
0: Uh, I don't believe I found any specific disagreements. Um, Uh, i'll have to share it with you michael make sure that you get it get a copy we can we can
1: (laughs) i'll i'll come back with my disagreements yeah (laughs) yeah and
0: and i'm not all the way through it but i i definitely uh you had some great points there and and there's definitely some some spicy uh spicy uh instances in the book too about uh uh sublimation and pedophilia and uh some of your arguments for there were definitely uh definitely great that we'll we'll maybe get into another time but uh we Really appreciate you writing the book, Jerry, because we definitely need uh, clarity on these issues. Um, and your book is very accessible to the average church person. So, um, But also, it's uh, it's definitely got enough meat in there for uh, those in the pulpit as well. So thank you again for writing that. So where, where do you want people to go to actually pick up a copy?
2: Yeah, you can find it at, uh, if you want a paperback, you can find it at freegracepress.com. And if you want it on Kindle, you can find it at Amazon. Um, if you want it in any other format, just find me on Twitter and uh, I can get it to you in any other format. Um, find me on Twitter, private message me. If you want a paperback shipped overseas, um, then private message me and we can work that out. I've shipped several to Canada, probably like 10 or so, and then shipped some to Ireland and, you know, just all over the place. So I want I want to help. Pastors think through this and Christians think through this. And even if you don't battle any form of LGBT stuff or desires or it will still help you to, you know, to kill sin at the root and to run to Jesus and to cultivate um, the fruit of the spirit, which is what all of us are doing. You know, I'm I, I think my book will help folks. I've had numerous private messages from. Uh, people who are battling same sex desire or were battling lust and, uh, thanking me for, you know, their book. My book helped them to repent and actually encouraged them, um, to fight. And, uh, that's what I want to do. I want to help people to fight, um, because this, this life is a fight and Jesus is worth the fight. He is worth, you know, I really think that that's, that's, if there's a secret to Christianity, it's just, um, which is loving Jesus. It's, that's why we do everything that we do. Um, we love Him more than our sin. He's our Lord. Our flesh is not. Our flesh hates us. And so if you view your evil inclinations as this thing in you that hates you and wants to lead you to death, to the grave, and Jesus loves you, given Himself for you, and has healed you from within and will bring you To his eternal kingdom soon. I mean, if those are your two choices, you're going to choose this thing that hates you, you're going to submit to it, you're going to walk in it, or you're going to submit to the one who loves you, you're going to walk in the spirit, you're going to, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, this is VBS type stuff, but it really gets at the heart of uh, living the Christian life and um, build your life around worship, and you'll become like Yahweh.
1: Amen. If I may, I'd like to uh, kind of close our time together reading the word of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Uh, I'll just start at the beginning, probably go through the first 11 verses. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen. God.
2: Amen. Amen. That's powerful. Amen. I mean, if you believe that, that just, just that passage will change your entire life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It should get better.
2: Amen.
0: Awesome. Well, Jared, where can people go to keep up with you and everything that you're doing?
2: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter or X, uh, at Jared H Moore. And, uh, that's where I'm most active. Um, I've got a YouTube channel that I'm trying to get rolling. That's just Dr. Jared Moore. And, uh, I just engage folks and kind of point out, um, point out those who are teaching heresy or false teaching on, on this particular subject, sexual sin. And, things like that. I, I just try to engage folks and, and i um, trying to think what else. Oh, I've, I've got a, another book. Um, it's called the pop culture parent, just encouraging parents to engage pop culture with their children, to train them to be ambassadors for Christ as they participate in pop culture. And um, check that out as well. It's with new growth press, but uh, me and I appreciate y'all's time and uh, appreciate the, engagement and the questions and the pushback and um you know i i hope y'all y'all just keep uh, being faithful to the word you know i mean eventually you're gonna get more heat i know you're getting heat now but you we're gonna get more heat it's it's coming and so yep. we have to decide you know i mean the, i think the days of billy graham christianity are over in america and by, by that i just mean where there is a popularity to um, to Christianity, and um, I think that that is going to go to the wayside, and the world is going to make it virtually impossible for Christians to make a living, especially pastors. And so, I think we'll see that in my, in our lifetime. I think we'll see it within the next ten years. And, and so, we you're going to keep getting heat, and so continue to stand strong. And um, I believe you know perhaps the Lord will bring revival, but if He doesn't. Then you remain faithful. Remain faithful. He's Jesus is worth. I mean, he's worth it, man. He's worth it. Worth all. Worth all the heat. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, always play be.
2: the man, Master Ridley. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, thank you, Jared. Appreciate that word of encouragement, Michael. Yeah, where can
1: people you. go to find you? Well, I don't really want people to go find me anywhere, but <laughs> <laughs> this next week I'm going to actually go down to Dallas and see what Dallas Theological Seminary has to say and figure out if they know the Bible at all. And then, yeah, just doing some traveling this weekend, so that'll be good.
2: What are you you doing at Dallas? Are you looking to enroll?
1: I'm going to hear their pitch, at least. I'm planning to do a biblical studies PhD, but I don't know whether or not Dallas is the fit yet, but I'm going to go inquire. Look around, talk to some people. Hopefully, I can chat with some faculty. It'd be good.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you heard their stuff on LGBT stuff? They've got a podcast. No, I haven't. It's horrendous. Is it okay? It's like Preston Sprinkle <laughs> level. You thought Alistair was bad? <laughs> Not even comparable. Not even comparable. Sounds no, like we have a part two coming, people. I will have to send it. I'll have to send you the links to the podcast because sure. it is sure it's heretical.
1: Yeah. No, there's plenty I don't agree with over at Dallas, but sorry. I didn't know about that one. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll sign off now, guys, and we'll talk more in, in the waiting room offline. But we appreciate everyone for listening. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh in enduring all of our shenanigans. We really appreciate it.